Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. What an incredible time we've had in the book of Philippians. It's been an incredible time to dive deep into the Word of God. And so it's been incredible to speak about the year of yes. And today I'm talking about an upward life. And the question I'm asking is, how do we live an upward life in an upside-down world? As I've spoken to many people over the last couple of weeks as we're gearing back to coming back to church in person, I've noticed a common theme where people are feeling spiritually disorientated. They are not sure about the things they were sure about a year ago. They're feeling they're asking, beginning to ask questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? What does it mean to even come to church in these four walls that we find ourselves in often? And so what does it mean to live an upward life in an upside-down world? So there are three occasions when we as human beings can be, begin to feel disorientated. One is in an airplane, and if you're in, particularly in a small airplane and there's lots of clouds around you, you can feel disorientated as you're flying through those clouds, not knowing which way is up or which way is down. The second one is if you're swimming or if you're snorkeling in murky water, uh, divers often feel the sense of disorientation, not knowing which way is up, which way is left. And and if you're caught in an avalanche, if you're going down and, and, and snow has surrounded you, uh, people caught in avalanches often feel the sense of disorientation, not knowing which way is up and which way is down. So if you're in an airplane, how do you know which way is up and down? You rely on your instruments. If you are a diver and in that murky water, all you need to do is blow bubbles and follow the bubbles because the bubbles will go to the surface and then you know which way is up. And if you're in an avalanche, just a little bit of spit out of your mouth will give you an indication of which way is up and which way is down. And so as Christians, how do we live an upright life in an upside-down world? And so we're going to begin to unpack that through Philippians today. And so if you don't mind joining me and going to Philippians 3, 17 is where we're going to start. So Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says this, Join me, brothers and sisters, and pray careful attention to those who live according to the example I have, uh, you have in us. And so Paul is saying is that we need to live as examples to one another when we live in an upside-down world. And so the question is, is your life worth imitating? Can your friends follow your example? Do your family see you as a role model? And do people see you working and glorifying God in everyday life? Is your life worth imitating? I often have a friend of mine who says he wants his children to catch him doing things that are of God, not things that are not of God. And so will you be comfortable with your children, with your friends, with non-believers following you 24-7 and following you throughout your life? So is your life worth imitating? Uh, another saying around this is, if you can see it, you can be it. A good friend of mine, Greg Rex, once shared a story about when he was young. His family used to say to him, Greg, education is fundamentally important for us as a family. Whatever we do, we're going to educate ourselves, and school is really, really important. And one day, when he was about seven or eight, his family pulled him out of school and took him to the airport because one of their family members was flying from the U.S., to the UK, and this would be the first family member in their whole entire family to make a transatlantic flight. 
And they wanted everybody there to see this. And so Greg was really confused because his family always uh, uh, said that education was so important. Now, why would they take him out of school and let him see this? So he asked one of his uncles, like, why am I out of school to see this? And his uncle said to him, Greg, if you can see it, you can be it. And so the same is true for us in the kingdom of God. When we can see it, we can be it. And this happened for me, an example of this happened for me at Youth Week, a, 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 a gathering of hundreds of young people um, in the north of, of Johannesburg, uh, in Michalisburg, where one of the contingent leaders had a couple join them as a volunteer for the week. And the couple said, what do you want us to do, Brian? And Brian said to them, what I want you to do this week is I want you to take romantic walks. I want you to hold hands and I want the two of you just to love on one another. I don't want you to stand on stage. I don't want you to do any of that stuff. All I want you to do is to love each other because the young people will watch you. When I first heard that, I thought that was quite a strange comment to make. But by the end of the week, this couple had young people following them around because they were living an example of what it meant to be a happy couple in love and what it meant to be that. And so if you can see it, you can be it. And so there's a call on all of us as Christians to live godly lives because people are watching us all the time. So if you have a cup of coffee in your hand right now, I'm going to ask you to put it down. If you are doing something else, I need you to watch this. And what I want you to do now is I'd like you to hold your hand up like this. And when you, when you got your hand like this, what I'd like you to do, slowly take your hand and put it on your cheek. That's great. We're going to do it one more time. So take your hand, put it up like this, and slowly move your hand and put it on your cheek. Now, the last time I checked, this is my chin, not my cheek. Because people do what you do. People do what you, what you do, not necessarily what you say. And so in God's kingdom, sometimes we wonder what's happening around is, is that people are doing what we're doing not so much what we are saying. And so when I stand here today, and if I say something, but I do something different, people will tend to do what I do, not necessarily what I say. And so the question is, what are we doing that uh, our people are following us in the kingdom of God? The question is, how are people seeing other Christians live? And how are we being examples to other believers? And so in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, Paul says, for I have told you, and now I'm saying again with tears that many of us live as enemies of the cross of Christ, that their, that their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame, and their focus is in earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior from them. And so what are we seeing around us? Well, we've seen people saying that their God is their stomach. I want us to think for a moment, if you have to ask somebody about how their weekend was, what is the first thing they say? They talk about what they ate, and they talk about what they drink. And so, so many times we are so consumed by a never-ending desire for consumption. Now, whether that's consumption of drink and alcohol, whether that's a consumption of food, whether that's shopping until we drop in, whether that's just a consumption of social media, but somehow we're trying to consume things to get some kind of satisfaction in our lives. It's that Mick Jagger saying that says, I can't get any satisfaction in this world. As citizens of heaven, with our internal position with Christ secured, we must constantly choose to live our lives in that truth daily and draw on our satisfaction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to get our satisfaction into the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, not necessarily in the things that we consume. 
What are the other things we see happening around us? Is that people glory in their shame, as it says in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, that we glory in our shame. We talk about how much we can drink or how much we drank last night. We talk about how many people we've been with. We talk about how much money we've made. We talk about how much food we can consume in one setting. And we brag about how hard we work in. We have no time for anything else. And we brag about these things, but actually we should be ashamed of these things. And so as citizens of heaven, we should boast in Jeremiah, what Jeremiah 29, 24 tells us, that we should boast in the fact that the Lord knows us and we know him and that we pursue the things of God. And that's where our boasting should be, but not in these earthly things. The other thing that we see happening around us is that people are focused on earthly things. People are focused on how they go to gym, the titles they have at work. Uh, I, I'm so surprised that so many people are so in, 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 indoctrinated into the soccer teams they support or, the, or the, the, supporting teams, the sporting teams that they support that they can tell you more about how those teams are working and operating than the gospel that they, that, 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 than in the gospel. And so often we are so caught up in worldly things that we, we lose our focus around what we should be caught up with God's godly things. And so as Christians, as citizens of heaven, we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to us, Matthew 6.33. This is the third week that Matthew 3, uh, 6.33 has come up. And so I really believe that God is speaking to us as a body around what does it mean to be citizens of heaven? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And I'm really excited about the next season that is coming up, the next series that's going to be going in depth around uh, the kingdom of God. And so the question is, how do we live an upward life in an upside down world? What are the things that we need to do? What kind of examples should we be as Christians? And so in Philippians 4.2 Paul urges us, he says, I urge Hudia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And so Paul is saying that as Christians, we need to agree in the Lord. We need to be one in the body of Christ. But it's amazing what has divided the church. Partisanism uh, has divided the church. Myself and Sai read an article last year that speaks about how Families have been divided because of politics, and churches have been divided because of politics. I've heard Christians say about Republicans, how is it possible that a Republican can be a Christian? And I've heard Republicans say, how is it possible that Democrats can be Christians? And within the South African context, even within the ANC in South African politics, you have different factions, and those family members haven't spoken to one another. And so politics can divide us as a church. Personalities can divide us in the church. And, and it's not doctrinal things that divide us. It's these small things that begin to divide us. Because you do things in a particular way, I then don't feel that I can be one with you around this. Our worship wars have divided churches and how we become one with one another. Too much of that song, too little of that song. The loud, the music is too loud. The music is too soft. I've heard of decor and cakes stopping people from coming to church. In fact, preparing for this message, I read of one story where a person stayed away from church for 15 years because of a slice of cake. 
And so it's not so much sometimes doctrinal things that keep us away or that split us up as Christians. It's these small things. And so it's interesting that Paul says that, that he urges Eudekai and Syntyche to be one with Christ, uh, one with the Lord. But it's also upon us. He, he says as Christians, we need to come alongside people. And he says, um, he says to the rest of the church of Philippi that they need to work with these two women so that they can agree in the Lord. And so when somebody's feeling disconnected or disorientated in their walk with Christ, when they look around the body of Christ, do they see us united or do they see us divided? And my prayer is that they will see us united, that they will see us as one, not divided in the church. And so if we're going to live an upward life in an upside down world, it's the body of Christ, we need to be one and agree in the Lord. The second thing that Paul says we need to do is that we need to rejoice in the Lord. And so in Philippians 4, 4 to 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And so we should re rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances. And it's in the Lord not in those circumstances. I often come across Christians who are so happy and praising the Lord for that deal that came through or praising the Lord for this thing that happened. But it's not in those things we should be rejoicing, but we should be rejoicing in the Lord. So there's the story of a man who owned a horse and his horse left, ran off, ran away. And so the community came to the man and said to him, oh, you're so unlucky. Your horse ran away. That's terrible. And the man says, I don't know if I'm unlucky. We'll have to wait and see. Three days later, that same horse came back, but this time it came back with three other stallions. And so the community came to the man and said, this is incredible. You are so blessed. Um, you are so blessed that that horse came back with three other horses. And the man said, I don't know if I'm blessed or if I'm unlucky. We'll have to wait and see. A week later, that very man's son was riding on one of those horses, got thrown off the horse. Young man breaks his arm, and it's a terrible catastrophe. The community come around the man and say to him, oh, man, you are so unlucky. The man says, I don't know if I'm unlucky or if I'm blessed. We'll just have to wait and see. A day or two later, their country enters into a war, and the generals of the army come to the village to recruit men to go to battle and to join the army. And they don't recruit this man's son because he has a broken arm. The community come to him and say to him, Oh, you're so blessed that your son didn't have to go off to war. And the man said, I don't know if I'm blessed or if I'm unlucky. We'll have to wait and see. And so too often, our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, is so con uh, connected to what's happening in our lives that we rejoice in the things that happen. But Paul is telling us that we need to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is the one that is constant. And so as people in our congregation and our community are feeling disorientated spiritually, when they look around, are they seeing us rejoicing in the Lord or are they seeing us rejoicing in circumstances? I also find it interesting that Paul says the Lord is near uh, in, in verse 7. And so I think there's two meanings to the Lord is near. The first one is that the fact that God is close to us, so the Lord is near, He's close to us. The second one is that this idea that the Lord 
is returning. And often I think we don't talk enough about the Lord's second coming. And there are three things to think about when the Lord is returning and why we should rejoice in the Lord. The first one is this excitement. I don't know about you, but are you excited about the Lord's return? Have you ever thought about, uh, think about a, a friend, a loved one you haven't seen in a long time, and they're coming to visit, how you prepare for that excitement to see that person you haven't seen in a long time. And I wonder how many of us are excited to wait for the Lord's second returning. The second thing about this, the Lord's returning is this idea of expectation. Do you and me have this expectation of the Lord's return? And when I talk about this expectation, I'm reminded of a, of a baby when Tamsin was expecting. And when, when I want you to think about a time in your family when there was somebody expecting a baby in the family. And what was the excitement that was around that? The expectation of this new hope, this new life coming. Uh, and so there's this hope that comes with this idea of expecting. And so do you have an expectation of hope? and excitement when the Lord is returning. And the third, third one is tied up in a story about a, a famous uh, English garden in the north of Italy. And there's this gardener that's been working in this garden for many years. And a tourist walks past and is taken up by the beauty of this garden in northern Italy. And so he gets speaking to the gardener. And through speaking to the gardener, he realizes that this gardener has been working in this garden for 40 years. And so he says, for 40 years you've worked in this garden. It's absolutely incredible. When last did you see the owner? And the gardener says, I, I've never seen the owners. I've never met them. He says, what do you mean you've, you've never met them? The garden looks incredible. So for 40 years, you've worked in this garden. You've kept it immaculate like they're coming home tomorrow. And the gardener said, oh, no, not tomorrow. Today, I'm expecting them today. And when I heard the story, I wonder how many of us live our lives in this expectation that our Lord and Savior is coming today. Would you be ready if our Savior was coming today? Or are we living with this lack of urgency in our life about the return of the Lord? There was this demon conference around how to make people not believe in God. And so there was this demon facilitator and he asked the question, how can we make people not believe in God? And so one demon put their hand up and said, I will tell people that there is no God. The demon facilitator said, well, that doesn't work. You just have to step out of the room and look at nature. Look at the mountains. Look at the stars. Look at the weather. Just look at nature, and nature will tell you that there's a God. So another demon put their hand up and said, I'll tell people that there's no sin. And the facilitator demon said, well, you know, all you have to do is look at your Twitter feed or, or go online or watch the news or listen to the news. And even atheists will recognize that there's sin and there's a moral decay and some kind of need for a higher power. And so I don't think that would work. And another demon put their hand up and said, I will tell them there is no hurry. And I think many of us as Christians are living like there's no hurry. Like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. He's been saying he's coming back. And so we live our lives with a lack of urgency. And so are you living your life with a sense of urgency of the Lord's returning? And so when we're living in an upside-down world, how do we live an upward life? We agree in the Lord together as unity. We rejoice in the Lord. And the last one, Paul says, is that we do not worry about anything. And so in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which passes all, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts, your, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
And so Paul is telling us not to worry. In fact, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. He says, do not worry about anything. And as I studied this piece of scripture, it's amazing how aligned it is with Matthew 6, 25 to 33, when Jesus commands us not to worry about anything. And so Paul is not saying that we won't have anything to worry about. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is that we should not worry about those things. We shouldn't be so anxious about the cares of the world around us. Why shouldn't we worry? Well, there's three reasons why we shouldn't worry. One, it's unhealthy to worry. Uh, all studies tell us about how bad it is to worry and how anxiety robs us of sleep, how we overeat, overmedicate, and become oversubscribed with uh, social media when we overworry. It's unhealthy. We also, it's unbecoming as a Christian uh, to be anxious about these things, to be overly concerned about these things, because it's, unbe- it's unbecoming because it shows us that we are not trusting the Lord to get us through these di- difficult circumstances. And it's unproductive to worry overly, uh, because uh, worrying about these things don't take them away necessarily. I think there was a quote uh, in, this, in preparing for this that said, there's an old man on his, worry, on his deathbed, and he said, I was troubled about many things in my life, most of which never came about. And so we are commanded not to worry about anything. And so there's an example of this woman. She was busy putting a pie. Oh, by the way, the story is based in the 80s. So the reference in your head, please go back to 1982 as I share the story. This woman is putting a pie in the oven. As she puts the pie in the oven, the telephone rings. She answers the phone. It's the school. Her son is not well, and they're asking her to come and pick her son up. She looks at her watch, and she says she's got an hour, so she leaves the pie in the oven. She rushes off to school. She picks her son up, but when she picks her son up, she realizes that um, her son is iller than what she thought, and she needs to take him to the doctor. And So she takes him to the doctor. The doctor subscribes some medication, and so she goes home. She drops her son off at home, and shoots off quickly to the pharmacy to go get the medication. And she gets the medication, and as she gets back to her car, she realizes that she locked her keys in the car. And now she's stressed because her child is at home, there's a pie in the oven, and she needs to get home. And so she phones a friend on a ticky box. And so if you're born in the 2000s, please ask your parents what a ticky box is. So she gets on a ticky box, she phones one of her friends and says, I've got this deep problem. And her friend says to her, find a wire hanger and you will be able to open the key, your door and get your keys out of the door. So she rushes around, she finds a hanger, she gets back to her car, and so now she's standing next to her car, keys in the door, hanger in her hand, but she has no idea what to do with this hanger. And so what does she do? She prays, and she says, Lord, please bring somebody across my path that knows how to use this hanger. I have a pie in the oven, my, kid, my child is, is, is sick at home, I really need to get home. She says, amen. And as she opens her eyes, a car stops in front of her. A young man gets out and she looks at the young man. She gives the young man the hanger and she says, can you open my car with this hanger? The man looks a little bit strange at her. He says, sure, and does it. And in the 80s, you've all done this. And does the and within a minute the car is unlocked. She throws her hands up in praise and says, "Praise the Lord! You must be a Christian because I prayed to ask God to send somebody my way to open the door, and yeah, you are." And the man says, "Ma'am, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I'm not a good boy. In fact, I just got out of jail yesterday." And the woman says, "Praise the Lord! He sent me a professional." 
And so I love that story because it's, it's out of a book called Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something. And so I love that story because it's, a, it's somebody that is in a desperate need and it, it emphasizes the importance of prayer in our everyday lives. And so when we, when we are faced with difficulties, it's almost the same as saying water and fire don't mix. They don't go well together. And the same with worries and prayer. They don't go well together. In fact, prayer always oversees worry. And so when we're going through these difficult times and you, and you have many concerns in your mind, remember what Paul tells us. Pray and petition with thanksgiving to the Lord. And again, it's so closely aligned to Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about the worries of the world and then says, this is how we should pray. And so this morning, as you were worshiping, or today, as you were worshiping and watching this, when we worship, our worries diminish because we talk about the greatness of God. And so when we pray, we pray about that. And then we, we, we bring our requests to the Lord. And then we say thank you. Whether God answers those prayers or not, we say thank you. And so this morning, I'm reminded of that hymn that says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything in God to prayer. And so this morning, if you're feeling disorientated in your spirituality, when you look around the body of Christ, are you seeing people that are praying, that are lifting the name of Jesus? And if not, then maybe you need to become that person because people are looking to you. And so the verse goes on to say, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart, your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this at this moment, as you're watching this, I want you to think about two things. There are two challenges I want to put out there. The first challenge is to Christians that are living upward lives. I want to challenge us to live upward lives so that we can be examples of uh, upward Christians in, in society. I want us to be good examples so that when people are feeling disorientated, when they're feeling like they're not sure which way is up, they can look to us as examples on how to live. And if you're one of those Christians that are feeling disorientated today and not sure which way is up, I want you to remember to bring that to the Lord in prayer and bring your requests to God. Because as you bring your requests to God, I promise you, the God of peace will come in and you will experience a peace like you've never experienced in your life before. And so Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to be examples uh, to one another in your kingdom. Father, I want to thank you that you are a good God and that you look out for us. And so as some of us are feeling spiritually disorientated, Father God, I pray that you would help us live upward right lives in this upside down world, that we will agree in the Lord, that we will rejoice in you always, no matter what our circumstances are. And Lord, that we can uh, not worry about things because we trust in you to come through for us. And so, Father, thank you for this opportunity. Father, I thank you that you're a good God and that you're a mighty God and that you help us live upward lives in upside-down worlds.